Good morning, Grace City, Portland. Thank you for joining us online, as always. Guys, we are actually getting very close to uh, transitioning into a new fall rhythm. If you were at our sidewalk service last Sunday, you would have heard me make the announcement or maybe even listen to the podcast. But I made the announcement that uh, we are beginning to um, work out some of the details in terms of transitioning into, into to live in-person gatherings. Um, if, if everything goes according to plan, and obviously we're just continuing to assess one week at a time, but currently the plan, the aim, is to in fact begin meeting in person come the first Sunday of October, which is October 4th. Um, we still have quite a bit to do, um, well, far less than we did several months ago, but we still have some stuff to do um, in our beautiful building here, but, but we have a wonderful space and... Um, yeah, October, we're going to aim to begin meeting a person. Uh, if you want to get involved with some of the, the cleanup that's going on here, we still have a lot of opportunities to, to get in on the action. I know a lot of you have, have already done that. Thank you. Um, but that's the plan, which means also um, we're only going to have a few, uh, maybe like a couple more online services um, when we begin to meet in person, we will absolutely uh, stream our, our services live because obviously we are still in a season of COVID. And, and I know uh, for some people, uh, it would just be a major uh, health risk to, to come and, and, and be present like this. Even though we will naturally take all of the appropriate steps to ensure uh, health safety for everyone who does come, we will wear masks and, and we will make sure that everything is hygienic as possible, um, but like I said, we will have, um, we'll stream our services as well so that people who aren't quite uh, comfortable uh, coming to a live worship gathering yet um, can, can still be a part of that online for this season. So anyways, very excited about that. Guys, let's go ahead and um, get to the message today. I have um, a message that I'd like to share with you that um, I really feel that the Lord has put on my heart for us. I know this is going out into just the, the ether, the internet, through the world, and, and I hope wherever you're coming from, wherever you happen to be listening, that this blesses you. But as a pastor um, of, a, of a local church, Grace City here in Portland, when I am praying for our church and preparing to, to give a message uh, like this, I'm really thinking about our church family, and I'm wanting to to teach God's word in a way that's going to, to help us in this season, uh, to be the church that, that embodies the life of Jesus, um, that we can be like salt and light to the world around us. Um, when people look on and, and look at the way we love each other and the way we're a community, a church family together, um, we as a church family, a specific group of people building relationship together, that we can do all of that in a way that that blesses our city, that, that is like a witness to the grace of God um, as we are a local church together. So anyways, uh, this is for our church. This is for you guys, Grace City. And I'm in Genesis chapter 4. We're going to look at the story of Cain and Abel. This is a classic. And uh, let me just, let me provide a little bit of context. This, I think this is actually going to be a relatively short message, um, I think, I hope. And I want this to be, as always, an encouraging message. I, I want our church to be built up. I want us to experience greater hope and joy as we look to Jesus, particularly during this time. 
But I also want to challenge um, us. And I say us because the Lord has been challenging me. And, and I want to share some things. I want to say some things. I want to say them as, as directly um, and lovingly as I can to us as a church. But I'm really hoping that, that you are going to feel challenged, that we're all going to feel challenged um, in a good way, in a way that is going to lead us to, to being built up, that we would um, become more like Jesus as his body, as his children. Um, so question, let's start with a question. What exactly is wrong with our world today? Simple question. What is actually wrong with our world today? I'm not going to answer the question. Um, I just want to set us up with that question. Um, I might kind of answer the question, um, but I think the scripture itself will, will probably actually make it quite clear. But that's, that's what I want us to be asking ourselves as we begin to look at this ancient story of two brothers uh, who were working through some difficulties. What is wrong with our world today? Okay, let's read the story. Genesis chapter 4, let's start in verse 2. It says, Now, uh, again, she, that is Eve, bore uh, another boy and named him Abel. So there's two brothers. One's Cain and the other one is Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, his older brother, a worker of the ground. Verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So, quick comment on that, and just forgive me, but I'm actually going to do a bit of start and stopping during this talk. Um, I normally don't do that, but I just want to make some comments as we go. So, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn. This is actually the first example of tithing in the Bible. They both sons, or both brothers, Cain and Abel, uh, Cain, he worked the ground, he was like a farmer, agriculture guy, and Abel, he, he was a sheep guy, he was a shepherd, he, that was his, his deal. And they both realized that if they were to trace the, 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 their, the fruit of their labor back far enough, it would be impossible for them to deny that ultimately everything that they had achieved can be attributed to the, the generosity and the faithfulness of their provider. They understood that, that God was blessing them. And so they wanted to honor God. They wanted to worship God. They wanted to um, acknowledge his provision by giving back the first portion of their crops or the, the firstborn of their flock. And so this is an example of two brothers acknowledging that Everything they have has come from God, and they're appreciative, and they want to honor God in that way. It's great. It's awesome. Wonderful. Um, but it says, after they brought their, their, their offerings to the Lord, it says, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face 
fell. The Lord had regard for Abel, but had no regard for Cain. Now, why? Why? Some of you are probably thinking, oh, I know why. Because uh, you're a Bible dork, like me, kind of. Um, and you've probably read one too many commentaries. Commentaries are great. Um, but you've probably read that one that has like some sort of like perfectly succinct explanation of why God seemingly uh, favored one bro- brother over the other. Uh, only, And I've also read those commentaries. Some of them are, are very helpful and creative. But if we just stick with the text, just with the text, I think we would do well to highlight the fact that the reason for why God had regard for one, not the other, is seemingly quite ambiguous. We're not told. We're not told. Now, obviously, one was a farmer, the other was a shepherd, but that doesn't seem to have anything to do with it at all. I mean, they're both coming to God with the, the, the first fruits of their labor. They, went to, they both want to honor God. And, and the reason why one brother does well and the other does not, it seems utterly ambiguous. We're not actually told why. Now, perhaps uh, the Bible wants us to to wonder perhaps we're meant to pause here and ponder and and ask ourselves why is that i i wonder why god had regard for abel's offering but not cain's is it perhaps was god perceiving something about cain's heart um did he understand something about Cain's motives, or perhaps Abel just had better motives. Perhaps his heart was right. Perhaps maybe one son was bringing the offering at hopes of somehow, um, I don't know, leveraging his offering to get more from God. And maybe Abel just was simply full of gratitude and wanted to present an offering simply as a means of saying thank you. We don't know. Now, if you know anything about humans or even just your own heart, I think one is easily, um, you can easily imagine what may have been going on. But all that to say, um, we in fact don't know what actually happened. All we know is that something did go wrong. There does seem to be, for some reason, some kind of inequity. Um, They both were trying. They both seemingly were doing what was right, and yet it worked out for one and not the other. And the result was Cain got angry. His face fell. He got angry. Let's keep going. So Cain was very angry, and his face Fell. And in verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? Let's pause again. Why are you angry? God asks all of the best questions. And it's a question that obviously it's, it's, it's the story. 
It's an obvious question to ask, I guess. Although one must wonder, when God asks a question, it's never because like, he's confused or lacking information. He's, he's posing the question because he's inviting some sort of response or reflection. And so as readers of the story, uh, I, I would suggest that we too are being uh, prompted to, to reflect, to perhaps ask ourselves the same question. Why are you angry? Let's, let's, let's think about that for a second. Think about your life for a second. What are you angry about? Are you angry? You might say, I'm not angry. I'm, I'm not angry about anything. Great, wonderful. Um, you are definitely uh, the minority, it would seem, these days. Kind of feels, um, and I hate sounding melodramatic, but it kind of feels like everyone is a little angry these days. Um, for some obvious reasons, but also for some unknown reasons. Why are you angry? Um, now, on one hand, Cain uh, was angry because, look at he, he brought an offering, and, and God didn't seem to, to be impressed by it. He had no regard for Cain's offering. And Right over across the way on the other side of the temple or altar, wherever they were at, he could see his brother offering his first fruits, the, the, the fruits of his flock. And somehow it would seem that God was, was delighted. And so God blessed Abel. I think that's kind of how I read the story. When it says that he had regard for one, not for the other, I think that's another way of saying, well, God blessed one brother, but not the other. And we don't know exactly why, but we can easily imagine why that would be extremely frustrating. It's like a a real-life situation. It feels unfair. It seems unjust. And so the brother's angry, but God wants him to answer the question, ask himself, why are you really angry is it really just about the crops is it really just because you feel like you need more or I didn't give you enough or is it is there something else going on is there a rift in the relationship between your brothers it perhaps because Abel's your little brother and it feels like you're the big brother you should be doing better you should have more to boast about is there a pride issue Or do you just feel hurt? Are you angry or are you hurting? Are you angry or do you feel like you've been let down by God and your way of coping with those emotions is presenting itself in an emotion that looks like anger? And maybe you are angry, but maybe there's actually more going on. And so God poses the question, why are you angry? And again, I think we would do well to ask ourselves the question. In this this season of time where anxiety levels are are pegged in the red, off the charts, and there's a lot of frustration, and it seems like there's not a day that goes by when someone doesn't get misunderstood or or come across a post that a a supposed friend posted that actually really cuts them deep and hurts them and leaves them feeling maybe at first sad, but then, of course, angry because that's a little bit easier to deal with. It's easier to feel in control, I think, when you're angry. But why are we angry? 
Now, I don't, only God knows our hearts. I think sometimes we don't even really know why we're angry. Um, I have a handful of friends who've started getting into therapy this season, and I think that's wonderful. It can be super helpful. Sometimes I kind of just wish we could, we could be better friends, we could be better listeners, and just and, and, and be better conversation partners, because um, in my experience, um, that's, that's a, a big part of really good therapy. Um, but a lot of, or a handful of people that I know during this season, uh, they're trying, they, in their attempt to figure out why they're angry or why they feel so frustrated or, or seem to be slipping into uh, depression or all these other uh, emotions, they're beginning to, to peel back the layers. They're beginning to, to go a little bit deeper because they're realizing that oftentimes the things that we seemingly are angry about aren't actually the things that we're angry about. It's just something that we're attaching an emotion to as a means to cope. But really, if we were to trace it back, that anger began a long, long time ago, and it's only because of recent events and and certain tipping points that we're all experiencing, like as a global community, that now these things are manifesting or presenting in anger. But we need to... I think, upon the question, why are you angry? Why are you angry? The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? Verse 7, now this is an interesting one. He says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Um, doesn't that sound slightly like contrary to the grace of God? I don't know if any of you are, are thinking that, but um, I know some of you, got, if you got your little theological sort of antenna up, that verse might actually catch you slightly off guard. God's response to Cain, who's feeling rejected, who's feeling let down, who's feeling angry, God says, well, you know, if you just do better, then it will go well for you. Uh, Sin is crouching at the door. It seems seems like, where's the grace in that? And this might be a bit of a side point, but it's an important point nonetheless because it's here. And I would simply say that the idea of exerting effort is not contrary to the grace of God. Effort is radically contrary to the notion of earning God's love, earning his favor, earning his forgiveness. Effort is always contrary to earning God's love. But effort is in fact the actual appropriate, uh, right, logical outworking of grace received from God. Effort is what we do because God's grace empowers us to make every effort as we work out our salvation, as we discipline ourselves for the purposes of godliness, as we, we run after God, as we strive to enter his rest. Effort is never contrary to the grace of God. It's always contrary to the notion that we can sort of earn God's love. But effort, in fact, is the outworking of having received grace from God. 
And so that's an important thing to understand. God says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? He encourages the man. He can see what's happening. He can see that this is not going well. Your anger is not going to serve you well in this situation. Make a good choice. He's actually giving Cain the opportunity. You could even say he's challenging him to to make a good choice in this moment. I can see your emotions are beginning to escalate. Now, think about why you're angry. And before you do anything rash, just know you have an opportunity here to make a good, difficult, but good choice. And remember, sin is crouching at the door, waiting for you. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. This is the first time sin is ever mentioned in the Bible. We're in Genesis chapter 4 now. The fall was like a whole chapter ago. This is the very, very first time sin is mentioned in the Bible. And it's absolutely fascinating to me and I think incredibly significant that when God talks about sin here for the very first time, he personifies it. He talks about sin as this like creature that's prowling, ready, waiting to pounce and encourages Cain to rule over it, battle it, resist it, overcome it. But no, it's, it's personal. And there are forces, demons, evil in this world that is actively seeking to exploit our emotions. In this case, Cain's anger He's frustrated. He feels let down. He's angry. His face has fallen. And God, good, gracious, patient Father, is is challenging Cain. Make a good choice. Because sin wants to exploit your anger. That's a deep thought. Sin desires to exploit our painful emotions. Think about this season that we're in now and the various ways we have all been wrestling through very difficult emotions. Why are you angry? Do you know that God has given you grace to make good, difficult, but wise choices? And do you know that there is an enemy that wants to exploit your pain, exploit your anger, exploit your hurt, turn it into bitterness, use it against you to... Well, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Now Cain is speaking to his brother. It says, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, when they were in the field. Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Defensive. 
And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And we're going to stop there. There's more to the story, but I think that's enough. As it turns out, Cain didn't make the right choice. As it turns out, sin pounced. The anger was exploited. The situation, uh, the reason for Cain's anger, again, we, we don't even know what happened. It seems to me at some level, the anger was arguably justified. It, it seems like a pretty difficult situation. Uh, obviously, Abel didn't sin against his brother, but there's something about the situation that just feels wrong, like unjust. And so, to be fair, one could argue, well, gosh, Cain was, he was right to be angry. And God doesn't challenge that. He doesn't say, you shouldn't be angry, you shouldn't be feeling this way. He just says, why are you angry? Do you understand what's actually going on in your soul right now? And do you understand that you're now faced with a decision to make a difficult choice, that you can let this anger consume you, uh, let, this, let this sin, this, this sinister evil, this, this, this sin that wants to uh, destroy you and your relationship, wants to exploit the situation, but you must overcome it? Do you realize that you're in a situation now where you can either see your brother as an enemy, you can know that you are his keeper, or you can become his killer. And sin did its work. The man made the worst choice imaginable, and he kills his own brother. In the field, nonetheless, it's interesting to me that we're told specifically that they were standing in the field. This was Cain's field. If he was in his brothers, with his brother out in the flock, they would have been on the hillside with the sheep in the pasture. But they were in the field, the very place that would have sort of reminded Cain of how he, he had been done wrong, or at least so he felt. And so he took his brother to the place where he was probably just dwelling, the place where the pain had been festering. And he said, why don't you come check out my great field? See how God has treated me lately. And they're standing out in the field and it says they talked. Again, we have no idea what they talked about. But they talked. And it didn't go well. It did not go well. Cain made the decision. Instead of looking out for his brother. Instead of choosing to be his brother's keeper, he became his brother's killer. But here's the good news. Let's, let's just skip to the good news because we need to get there. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made 
us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The good news is that where once a brother decided to make his brother his enemy, in Jesus Christ the wall of hostility has been torn down and instead of making our brother an enemy, we can now make our enemies our brothers. Jesus tore down the wall of hostility in his own flesh by dying for us, by being killed for us. We no longer have to keep living out the violent narrative of Cain and Abel where one brother is overcome by his anger, makes the sinful choice, stands in the field of pain, dwelling on his anger, and instead of seeing as his brother as, as his brother, he makes him into his enemy. But we don't have to live that story out. Not in the church, not in Christ, not as brothers and sisters. And here's, my, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge, and here is truly the reason why I wanted to preach this particular sermon, this passage today. Because as a church family, I can see us struggling. There is anger, there is pain, there is misunderstanding, there is fear, there is genuine concern, there is, there is legitimate cause for deep concern, and yes, even anger. And yet I can see us struggling Standing in our field, wrestling with that anger, often not even actually quite understanding why we're so angry, because it's connected to something that started a long time ago, a betrayal, a hurt, a rejection, a fear, an exploitation, but we're angry nonetheless, and we're working through some really difficult stuff right now, and I've been having a lot of meetings with a lot of you and I've been working on my own stuff and I realized that the enemy wants to exploit this stuff inside of me. And my heavenly father is lovingly but firmly challenging me and us saying, we need to make a good choice now. My grace is more than enough. It's time to arise and overcome the temptation to sin, to make an enemy out of our brother or sister, but instead treat our otherwise enemy as our brother. Or sister because we can in Jesus Christ because the wall of hostility has been torn down because we know something of the incredible compelling overwhelming unfathomable love of God in Christ he's poured it into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us which means we can love our enemies we can do what Jesus commanded us to do to love our enemies to do good to those who hate us, to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who abuse us. This is Jesus 101. If you and I call ourselves Christians, if Jesus is Lord, we are commanded to love our enemies. And that is to say nothing, even of our brothers and sisters. We have an opportunity before us and let, me, and let me commend so many of you as well. Let, let me commend you because I've had many meetings over the last couple of months with some of you, and they've been difficult, 
The conversations have been hard. There's been there's misunder misunderstandings. There's been offenses. I have had to repent. Some of you have repented. And it's been really hard. But the thing I want to commend many of you on, even as, as a church, I challenge us as a church, but I, I want to encourage us as well. I want to commend so many of you for uh, the courage that you've shown, the compassion that you have shown by, by coming to me, coming to, to your brother or sister, to actually have the conversation, but not the conversation that ends in death, the conversation that centers around Jesus and that ends in new life, where the enemy wanted to exploit the hurt, where the root of bitterness was beginning to crop up, we've come together and said, no, maybe in the world, but not in the family of God. Maybe out there where people know nothing of unconditional love in Christ. They've never experienced God's grace. They don't know mercy. They've never been forgiven, so they don't, they don't know how to love because they've not been loved like Jesus loves. But in the family of God, guys, God pours his love into our hearts. So even when it gets like impossibly difficult and the offense is real and the anger is perhaps even justified, we don't start killing each other in our thoughts and our hearts and our judgments and our passive-aggressive canceling behavior. We don't attack each other because we are our brother's keepers. The way you annoy me does not, is not greater than my commitment to love you. And love remains. Love doesn't just look at the situation, look at the church, look at the politics, look at this, look at that, look at the field, look at my own anger and say, you know what? This is too disgusting to me. I'm too annoyed by these people. They can just, they can, whatever, they can, I don't want to say it. But it can be very tempting to, to, to forget that I am my brother's keeper. I am my sister's keeper. And I don't, simply leaving, and I'm not saying like leaving the church. I'm just talking about like disengaging, writing off a brother and sister or sister because, because you're, your memes annoy me to no end. In some cases, I'm watching brothers and sisters sin. I'm watching brothers and sisters um, not take thoughts captive, but actually entertain lies. I mean, guys, we all know it, but our, our, our social media world, it's just rife with deception. And many, many of us, I am not immune, but by the grace of God, any of us think any coherent godly thoughts. But many of us, I think, have perhaps we've, we're taking in more Instagram stories or whatever thread or, or algorithm is feeding us our, our media than we are feeding on the word of God. We're spending more time reading the, 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 the repost or the whatever that's coming from some, some other source, some other voice, some other narrative 
that is in fact not God's voice. It is not our Father's heart. It is not the truth. And we need to unplug. I think for some of you, here's a challenge. You need to fast social media. You need to fast news. And I'm not talking about putting your head in the sand. Like We need to be engaged with what's happening in our world, but in terms of what we're meditating on, where we're gaining life, what, who or what we're looking to for truth, we might need to unplug. We might need to fast from some of that, from, 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 from online whatever, and just binge for a minute or a day or a month on the word of God. Because truth is important. In fact, the Bible says that, 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 that the household of God, the, the church, is in fact the pillar and foundation of the truth. We take the truth very, very seriously. We speak the truth in love. And so although we're not just trying to get along, we're not just sort of marginalizing truth so that we can stop sort of like making each other angry, that's never ever the point. Okay, we're not trying to just work around the difficulty of, of processing through hurt and offense and where lies have actually taken hold and begun to, to do damage in people's lives. And yes, even the church. Truth is our anchor. God's word is, is our authoritative source for what we know to be true about God, the world, ourselves, eternity, and all of life. So truth is serious, but it has to be sought after, has to be spoken, has to be wrestled through together in love, in love. Let me close with this. I didn't realize I was going to get quite this um, fired up, but I guess I'm, I feel quite strongly about this. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you are our peace. Thank you for going to the cross for tearing down that, that wall of hostility that once separated one from another. Well, thank you for making a way so that we actually can overcome sin, anger, pain, seemingly impossible situations. Lord Jesus, apart from you, we can do nothing, but the fact is you are with us. You are for us. And as we look to you, there's nothing that's impossible. Would you please help us, Father? Would you help us in this season? We are your kids. As the world looks on, as anyone looks on, Lord, I pray that they would know that we belong to you, that we are your disciples by the way we love one another. Lord, I pray where there is anger, where there is offense, where lies have, have infiltrated uh, lies have infiltrated lives and, 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 and worldviews. Lord, won't you help us to, to not disengage or, God, help us not to kill each other. Help us not to devour one another. 
but help us to see each other as my brother's keeper, my sister's keeper. I may not like what you're saying. I may not agree with your your stance or your post, but I love you. I love you. I'm concerned for you, and I'm concerned for the health of our relationship, the way that we are called to walk in a manner that would glorify our Father in heaven, that we would be sons and daughters, brothers and sisters that love each other. Help us, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions, um, if you'd like to process this a little bit more with me personally, I would love that. You're very welcome to email me, Simon at GraceCityPortland.org. Um, I don't really want harsh, uh, mean criticisms, but if you genuinely want to, uh, to talk more, or better yet, if there's someone, me or anyone else in your life, or particularly our church family, Grace City here, that you are angry at, that you feel offended with, um, I want to challenge you, go have the conversation with them. Do Matthew 18. Go to them, appeal to them. See if you can't win them over. You might realize that there's some, some mutual repentance that, that needs to take place. Oftentimes in, in, in relationships, you realize it's not just a matter of like, oh, they're wrong and I'm right. Um, relationships are much more complicated and, and wonderful than that. So we need to go into those moments uh, eager to, to listen, eager to understand um, with patience and humility as we've just read. Um, but that might really begin with, with uh, a fairly large amount of courage to just reach out. Uh, don't do it all by a text. You can initiate it, say, hey, can we get together? Um, but it needs to be at least a phone call or something where you can get the tone of voice or facial expression. And, um, and get some prayer covering as well. Uh, sometimes those conversations, uh, it, it, it gets worse before it gets better. Sometimes it's just, it's so raw and emotional that, um, yeah, it, it doesn't always go perfectly the first time. So you might need some help to sort of work through a, a series of conversations. Um, but take that first step. Get some people praying with you. Um, don't gossip about the situation, but get some people to, to stand with you in prayer as you take some brave steps. That's all I'll say. Guys, I love you, and um, have a great rest of your Sunday, whatever day it might be for you. See you.